0: continuing on our series, Through the Ten Commandments, and this is a, uh, a command where the ten, the, it's called the Decalogue. Sarah, your hair shes just, just all over each other, you know, we love each other. Um, also, in honor of this commandment, my daughter gave me a Sunday Funday uh, pin that she requested that I wear, and so... I'm trying to honor that request. This is the part of the Decalogue that shifts from uh, love of God to love of neighbor. And the the closest neighbors that you have are your, your family unit, your family of origin, your mother and father. Now, I realize that uh, not everybody has had the privilege of, of having a, a mother and father or their mothers and fathers have been absent. And uh, our church has done a great job throughout the years at... Um, adoption and fostering, Um, but I want to speak with with this command to the general principles of it, uh, knowing that there's tons and tons and tons of exceptions, okay, and tons and tons and tons of questions that could come up uh, from this content, which I'm happy uh, to talk to you about. Just reach me by email. Um, So this is God's word to you today, again, shifting from how we treat God to how we treat one another. Uh, This is Exodus 20 verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to skip down to uh, verse 12. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord, your God is giving you. Uh, we usually spend a few moments in silence before we pray, and what we're doing is that we're asking uh, God, the Holy Spirit, to come and bless the reading and teaching of his word to illuminate to our hearts. And so uh, sit with me in silence and, and we'll talk about this text for a while. Let's pray. Lord, at this time, during your, the revelation of yourself and your redemption throughout history, it was not common to think of you as a father. Um, that was not a given. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and you teach us to address, address you in prayer as we speak as father, there is intimacy, intimacy there that we sometimes take for granted today. And I pray that we would be uh, renewed in our vision of your fatherly care over our lives, your mercy, and what that means, the compassion that you embrace us with. And despite uh, all the things that we have experienced in this life from our parents and we as parents that have given to our children, whether blessings or wounds, uh, the point of it all is to direct our attention to you. And that we would receive love from you, and then give that love back. And so, help us to know what that means—that we have been included into the Trinity, into that great family um, of love. So we pray that pray this in Christ's name, Amen. So again, shifting now from uh, God Word focused commands to if that's true, if God is your God, how how are you going to interact uh, with your neighbor? And the most foundational relationships that we have, even if those uh, primary caretakers, their parents, are pretty much absent in our lives, uh, the most important ones are your family, the environment in which you were raised, and what you learned in those very like intimate and formative years of your life, dramatically shape who we are, uh, and dramatically informs how we are to be as. God-fearers or God-worshippers in the world. And the point of this command is there in the text. The point of honoring or showing reverence to your parents is so that you can have a long life, so that you can live long in the land. And again, I know we all want to go to the exceptions here, and I'm going to try to stay uh, in in the main. And almost every command is stated in the negative. You know, you shall not murder, you shall not covet, you shall not... But this one is is in the positive. It says, honor your father and mother. And this is the promise. You're going to live long. And so I want to talk about that uh, under three headings. The context of this command, the stages of this command, life stages, and the community that this command produces. Okay, so context in in the ancient culture. Most scholars say that it was expected that you obeyed your your parents, and this is still true today in traditional cultures. I spoke with a friend of mine who spent some time in the Philippines and he said in the Philippines and part of this is because of poverty there. But he said in Philippines, almost everybody has an older person living in their home because they in traditional cultures. There's just more of a respect for the elderly within more traditional cultures. Now, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, the one in which Exodus was written in, uh, it was expected that you respected your father. Your father held the the keys to, you know, the the security of the family, the money, the inheritance. And when the father died, that all went to the oldest son. And that's how it continued. What's interesting in this command is that it, it does include mothers. And there seems to be an equality of respect and honor with men and women that God wants in a home. And so even early on in scriptures, you have this reverence for mothers and where life comes from, even down to the details of how you like cook a little baby goat. And it says, don't be boiling a baby goat in your in its mother's milk. And even that's in Deuteronomy 14, Deuteronomy 22 It says, look, if you come across the road and you see a a little baby bird that uh, are baby birds with the mama on the nest, don't be taking that mama away from the nest. And the reason why is so that you may live long in the land. That's the promise. Now, what's going on there? Well, clearly, the God of the Bible wants you to respect and honor where life comes from And it's easy to think about uh, exceptions to this promise, you know. But generally speaking, this command teaches the basic principle that life, your life, came from your parents. And you are to give weight to their place in your life. You are to respect them. And if you do that, you will have a long life. Implication, if you don't. If you don't honor their place, if you have disregard for life and where it comes from, you can expect to have a short life and one that isn't thriving. Again, billions of exceptions. We can talk about it later, but that's the basic principle on the surface and the context of this command and what it's saying. Let's go a little deeper with the second point. Life stages of this command. So, early life. I'm thinking formative years. I'm thinking from the age of one to ten. What does this command mean for a parent and for a child? Family of origin is vastly important to who you are and how you move through the world. What happens in your life between the ages of zero and ten will shape your adulthood. It will. Stephen Colbert talked about losing his father when he was young, and he said he did not realize this until many, many, many years later. But in so many ways, his professional career grew from how he processed the grief of losing his father at a young age. And he said, on top of that, uh, how I interacted with my mother very much shaped my career. I was just trying to make her smile the whole time shield her from the the grief. Now, when you're little, your parents are basically like superheroes. You know, they provide everything pre-verbal. You know, all you got to do is cry. And as John Cox says, some very large, you know, being comes and just takes care of the problem, you know, takes away the poopy diaper or feeds you. And, you know, at this stage, as a parent, you have tons of control over your kids, um, and, and the reason why is so that you can protect life. You know, don't stick that fork in that socket. You know, if the, if the child says, why? Because it would kill you. Don't do that. You, your role as a child in this stage is to do what your parents say, unless it's in violation of your health and your life, like in the case of an abusive parent. And parents are to provide... Security and significance for the child in this stage so that it's a delight for them to obey this command. So the onus of this command is also on the parent as well as the child. So much more to say here on early formative life stuff, and I would love to, but we got to move on. So midlife, what does this command mean in, in your midlife? And I'm thinking midlife is from age 10 to 40, okay? As a parent... Uh, you move more out of the role uh, of control and more into the role of coach in this stage. Midlife is usually racked with learning <laughs> on both ends of the parent-child relationship, and there can be a lot of angst and frustration towards your parents in this stage. And it's very, very important as children in this stage to realize that your parents aren't perfect and they don't have complete control over you like they do in those early years and that they will disappoint you. And the most important thing that you can learn in this stage is that the release from any wounds that you may have received from your parents is through forgiveness. There is no other way around. And forgiveness does not mean that it doesn't hurt Or that you aren't still frustrated. Forgiveness simply means you have to extend mercy as a follower of this God. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But forgiveness is the only way. It's the only path out of your parents still controlling you. And the only path to actually having the ability to continuing to honor them in their place in your life. And at the end of the day, um, Love really does cover a multitude of sins. And the the wounds will not take front and center in your life if over the years what your parents communicated to you and what they embodied was consistent repentance and love towards you. One pastor, Brian Havig, said, he said oftentimes in midlife as parents... We look for things from our children, which we have not yet extended to our parents. And he said the the way through that is the gospel. I have seen it actually numerous times now, not only in my own family, but in many others. The things that parents are most embarrassed by when they feel most exposed by their children when they and you know that you don't really deserve the honor that this command requires. Some of you parents ever felt that? If a pa- in that moment, if a parent will look to God and particularly the mercy of God in those moments, the strangest thing happens. Tension is released. And it's a release that only the gospel can bring when a parent actually has the confidence And God's love to say to a child, I'm sorry. And I love you. And when you repent, never underestimate the power that you have in your child's life when you repent, because what it does is that it makes them be confronted with God himself. Because what you're showing your child is that it's safe with this God to admit your failures. It's safe. And that will mean more to them over the course of their life than your performance as a parent. Many of you have heard me talk about uh, Eugene Peterson and Tim Keller from this pulpit. They are in so many ways. uh, I admire them. I mean, they have shaped how I think about my own parenting and my life and my preaching and pastoring. But their their boys um, have said this in very public ways. Both of their sons, they've said, you know, my dad was emotionally absent growing up, and I have wounds from from that absence. And it, you know, it makes sense. They were so gifted at being there and being present for so many others that at times their home got neglected. Now remember uh, the first generation. Think about the history of Exodus. So the first generation coming out of Egypt. Was the, they were the generation that received this law. They were in slavery, and they came out of slavery, and they were given this command. But they did not live a long life in the land. You remember what happened to them? They all died in the wilderness. And now, the second generation, their children are the ones that are called to honor their parents. And I want you to just think about the thought process of that second generation, Right? You mean the parents that didn't obey you, God? You mean the parents who used us as an excuse for their fear and anxiety not to follow you? Those parents? How how are they to honor their parents? This is how. By knowing that the same fear and anxiety and sin and failure exists within them, it's in the DNA. And it was because of their parents sin. This is the crazy thing. It was because of their parents sin that they get to enter the blessing of the promised land through the negative example of the first generation. through the negative example of their parents. That's how the gospel can work. The book of Hebrews talks about this all the time, meaning God doesn't lose in any scenario. Your sin can't make God lose like he's going to get his way with you. And once you have embraced that kind of humility that you see that I'm (laughs) I am in need of mercy at every stage of my life. Then you're ready to give counsel. You have the wisdom that that only failure coupled with gospel can bring to a world. And you're ready to enter later life. And later life, how you obey this command in later life is, I would say, it's it's just one of the most challenging parts of the Christian life Uh, for adult children to care for their aging parents and for aging parents to allow yourself to be cared for, which means losing autonomy over yourself, losing autonomy over your decisions, handing over the keys when it's time. Hard. In later life, we are called to care for those even down to their basic necessities, like changing a diaper, like providing conversation if we need to, because they did that for you when you were helpless. And it's necessary as a parent to allow yourself to be honored in this way. I have an older friend who's in his 60s now. He bought a house a few years ago, and his son said, now, Dad, don't be getting a house with steps. And he was like, I'm, you know, he was offended by that. He's like, I'm your, I'm your dad. Like, I'm I'm strong. He's like, no, 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 think about it. Like, and you want to die in this house, right? And he's like, yes. He's like, well, in 10 to 15 years, that puts the responsibility on me and my family because your house is going to be dangerous to you, and we got to fix all that. So... Get everything on the same floor. And he was like, dang it. You know, (laughs) I raised a wise son. Um, Even as we age, and this is so difficult, we have to ask this as we age into later life as parents. We need to be asking the question, how can I make this command a delight for my adult children? How can I make it a delight for them to honor me? And for adult children in the room, caring for aging and dying parents is one of the key marks of how you know that you're a follower of God. This doesn't mean we can't avail ourselves to nursing homes and assisted living, but we are called to honor parents' lives and not just push them out to the margin so that we don't have to deal with them. And this hits close to home for me, y'all. My mother, uh, one of the last conversations we had when she visited, she just said, Matthew, I just don't want to be a burden on you boys. And I, I said, Mom, that's what death is. It's a burden. And it's a hard one. And, and maybe God wants us to take care of you. And you don't have any control over it. That, those are just a few ways that uh, we can honor this command and honor our parents in these different stages. You know, Jesus himself told the Pharisees, That they can dedicate their lives and resources to the temple and neglect the care of their parents. Which means that we can use tradition, we can use important things to avoid doing what God actually tells us to do. Care for your mom and dad if you got it. So those are a few ways and that's hard, right? It's hard, um, but there's glory in it. Those are just a few ways that this command applies to each stage of our lives. Point three, this command shapes and informs and it fortifies communities. So why is this command so important to communities? It's important uh, because to dismiss authority in your life at its basic level, which is the family unit, points to a rebellious heart. And when we try and build a community that bucks against all authority, what we do is that we tear down the fabric of society itself. And I know in our culture, it's it's kind of cool to be anti-institutional, um, but we have, y'all, we, we need to think about this. And this doesn't—it's not just like the world's problem. It's everybody. We have deified uh, individuality in America. We have. And that's the, that is the quickest path to anarchy for any society. And what honoring father and mother does is that it dramatically shapes and infuses life into a culture. And I want to give you a, a positive and a negative example just to kind of put some feet on this as to what I mean. And, and I, I think what we'll find is that we actually all deeply desire a community like this, we've just lost we've lost our way because we're individual, individualistic. Um, one time I, <laughs> I was driving in my, in my town. I lived in a small town outside of Augusta. I was driving, and I pulled into my neighborhood, and a cop turned on his lights and was behind me and then the cop actually pulled into my driveway with his lights on, and my dad gets out of the house and he, come, he comes out and he says, he says to the police officer, he said, sir, why are you following my son? And I was like,
1: oh gosh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the police officer said, Mr. Odom, your son was going 51 in a 25 mile an hour zone. And my dad just said, Good grief, Matthew. And then he he turned around and walked back into the house, leaving me with the police officer. (laughs) Uh, It's going (laughs) to happen. He didn't write me a ticket. He didn't even give me a warning because he knew that once I went back in that house, my punishment was going to be worse than anything he wrote up on a piece of paper. And I know, guys, I know not everybody has the privilege to have a home with parents. I get that. Um, But the beauty of what my dad did there is that he was protecting our community from my dangerous behavior. He was protecting the life of the community. His discipline and my reverence for his discipline helped protect life, the life of our community. That was a good thing. Negative example, in my undergrad, my uh, religious professor, he had very strange mannerisms. So like when he would answer questions, he would like, he would, like look uh, back and forth like this, super smart guy, but he was just, he was quirky. And sometimes he got quirky during a lecture. One time a student asked him a question and he started doing that with, with, his, with his face and his eyes. And then the, the student in our class, started openly mocking him and making fun of him. Um, and my, my professor just, he didn't say anything and he looked quiet and, and alone. And though a few people laughed at it, I think the, the general demeanor of the room was like, this just feels yucky. Like it feels misplaced and disordered. And irreverent humor towards those in authority over you speaks to the heart of a broken system. And when you, when you applaud that in communities, we're applauding our own destruction. And I think this is why Paul and the New Testament writers put disobedience to parents in the list, like with adultery and sexual immorality and murder. It's because... When you aren't honoring your parents and any authority over you, um, that's the quickest path to a very hard life and one that usually doesn't last very long. Now, there are several places in the Old Testament that say if you have an obstinate son and he continues in that rebellion, refuses to obey the parents who squanders what's been given to him. Um, And they have no regard for authority. That community is supposed to stone that child, supposed to kill him. And I want you to begin to think about that as Jesus comes on the scene and he starts telling stories like the prodigal son. Where this father has a son and and this younger son was a terrible son. Like he was not honoring his his parents at all. And he took all of the inheritance and he blew it on his selfishness. And what would have been expected of that father when his son returned, not only like culturally, but it's actually written up in the Bible that he was supposed to run and kill that son with the help of other people in the community, like the older brother. It's starting to make sense about why the older brother was so angry at the younger son. If you're familiar with the prodigal son story. The reason why he was expected to be killed is because this dude was toxic to any community he went in. Selfish, only out for himself. And yet, what do we see? This dad running and he embraces him and he celebrates his son that was lost that has now come home. How do you square that with this command? What does that mean? I think part of what it means is that in the end, your child is not ultimately looking for your performance as a parent. They don't they don't need to agree with you about everything. What they are in need of is your compassion. Compassion. They're in need of your embrace, especially in moments of weakness and brokenness. Because there is only one parent who got it right. There is only one father that we we all must look to, whether we're a parent or child. And despite what's been done in our lives, um, some of you may have uh watched this show called the walking dead it's about zombies and the main character rick one time things one of the earlier seasons he's he's trying to talk to his son carl remember carl you know, <clears throat> the, the show and uh you know he's talking to his son son about how to exist in a world with with zombies like you do right he said carl i can't save you Your mom can't save you. All we can try to do is stay one step ahead. And that's about as good as we can give our children in a fallen world. But here is the beauty of what Christianity teaches about being a parent. Christianity teaches that as a parent, there's going to come a time when your child sees you for who you actually are. And you are exposed And if you're lucky enough to be in diapers a second time in this world, more than likely, even before that, your teenage and midlife children will lay you bare emotionally and in other ways. And they will see who you actually are in your brokenness, in your inadequacy. And what like we're not we're not up for the task required of us, you know, as parents, And we are all in need at that point of the merciful, the merciful embrace of God. That's what your parents need to see in you. And that's what you need to see and coach in your children It's the compassion of God that our communities need right now. And we need to infuse that in the midst of our communities. And that starts with us being the family of God to each other. Specifically starting in the, in the home. That you extend and receive compassion and mercy to those that you live closest with. Okay? How, how are we going to be the brothers and sisters of Jesus who listen to God's word and actually do it We don't do it because we're so great at it, but because we have been broken and God came and put us back together again. Like the younger son. Showing us how to honor and serve one another, showing us how to live long lives, to love as we love ourselves. If you just go based upon that own premise, do you have a hard time loving yourself? You may have a hard time liking yourself, but you do a great job at loving yourself and serving yourself. What would that mean if you did that for those closest to you? How how attentive would this make us and careful would this make us with one another, showing us that we have been looking? You know, if you've been looking for things in this world that you lost in your family of origin, that is not the totality of your story. Our story can be the story of the younger brother that comes back to his dad and receives that embrace as parents and children so that we may live a long life. The eternal life, ultimately, is what it means when you obey this command, when you receive the embrace of God and you honor him. Look, I know that. uh, I mean, Everybody's family situation is quite different, you know, Uh, and so I'm happy to discuss this further. But this is this is a great thing to talk about in the midst of your life groups. What does it mean to honor my parents? And you can talk about that at each stage of your life. And uh, so I would encourage you to do that. But just know that I'm open to email if you want to chat. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for being the great father, the father of mercies. Um, and would you teach us what it means to, uh, whether we receive too much of one thing from our parents or too little, uh, ultimately that's not the point.
1: The point is that we can find you even in like our Like blood to the wicked. The sorrow, you. sweet sorrow. Still a safe place to have. My soul is weak, it is worn and withered, and worry, oh worry, still a good friend. No